May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to begin this morning by sharing two stories about standing in line. I realized this week that I haven't done much standing in line since March. No lines at the airport, no lines in restaurants or sporting events or concerts. I don't even really stand in line at the grocery store because they're either delivered to my car or to my front porch. Thank you, Jeff Bezos. Do you want to know, though, where you can still stand in line? At the Hobby Lobby off 183 a few days after New Year's. That's where I found myself Monday afternoon. And friends, if I ever feel, if it ever seems like I'm resting on my laurels, if I'm too confident or settled in the growth I've experienced as a Christian, just remind me of the time I stood in line at the Hobby Lobby off 183 a couple of days after New Year's. I didn't uh, say or do anything wicked, but my thoughts, feelings, my bodily rage is grounds for some sort of intervention. And I think what that reflects, and aside from obviously my impatience, I think what that reflects is a feeling that I think many of us have, and that is just how, how tired we are of all of this. How tired we are of the virus, how tired we are of being scared of the virus, how tired we are of people very earnestly but seemingly not effectively slowing things down. And some of those feelings are perhaps justified. Some of them are, are not. But here's what I know. I need a, a shot in the arm. I need some positive energy to do more than just survive the liminal moment in which we find ourselves. And because I am a Christian, I believe that that positive energy is both available to us and that that positive energy has a name. I think that God has something in Jesus to help us endure these times with a bit more grace, composure, and patience than I exhibited Monday afternoon. So look with me at this, this text, the gospel text. I want to see what it teaches us about the God that we adore and are united to in Jesus. And hopefully there's some, some good vibes here for us. Well, the passage begins with John the Baptist. He appears in the wilderness with a very simple message. Get in the water. Leave your sinful life behind and start a new one. And his ministry took place, as Sarah said, at the Jordan River. That's, that's a generous title. The Jordan River is really more of a muddy irrigation channel that you can probably jump over. It's not a river that you would take a picture in front of and post on the internet. But despite John's severe message, and shabby location, people flock to him. The whole Judean countryside, we're told, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem go to him. And blending in 
to the gray mass of penitents standing on the banks of the Jordan is the one person on earth who does not need to be there. This is the second story about someone waiting in line. In verse 8, John the Baptist says, there is someone coming after me who will not just baptize you with water, but will fill you with God's spirit. He will bring life to you, John is saying. He will put you into contact with God. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But what I want to highlight here is the way that in one verse, John makes this extravagant promise about who Jesus is and what Jesus will do and how much greater Jesus is than John or what Jesus is doing. And then in the very next verse, quite literally, just one verse down, we see Jesus, the promised one, undergoing the baptism of John, receiving the sign of repentance and being cast in the league of the guilty. Why was Jesus baptized? Surely it was unnecessary for him to put off a failed life and receive a new one. So why did he have to do it? And this, the way that this story is told in the Gospel of Matthew, not Mark, John the Baptist asks him a variant of that question. John the Baptist says, I should be baptized by you, Jesus. Why are you coming to me? And Jesus says, let it be so now. This is God's work. It is fitting for us to do this in order to fulfill all righteousness. Now, what does that mean? Fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness is a, is a short way of saying God's desired state of affairs. And so to fulfill all righteousness is to be completely in sync, to express and embody in full all that God wants for and from humankind. And so in a world that's marked by sin, part of what it means to be in sync or to express God's will is to be in solidarity and stand in line with people whose lives are unmanageable but yearn for a new beginning. The significance of Jesus' baptism did not fully emerge until it was seen in the light of his cross and resurrection. Because what Jesus is doing when he walks into that muddy irrigation channel is loading the guilt and the captivity of humankind upon his shoulders, going knee-deep into the water, and then finally going all the way down. Jesus is the true and the greater Jonah, who says to the captain of the ship, take me and throw me into the water. As Paul said, this Sunday is the first Sunday after the Feast of the Epiphany. And in every liturgical year, or another way of saying, every year on the first Sunday after the Epiphany, 
we commemorate the baptism of Jesus. And one of the reasons why we do it is that the baptism of Jesus reminds us of a love that is so strong, so committed to our well-being, that it accepts death for the transgressions of humankind. But what does it say about Jesus that he, you know, this is the first public act of Jesus' ministry. This is the first thing that he did following his childhood that we have any record of. It's when he announced himself, as it were, on the scene. What does it say about the God that we worship in Jesus that the first thing he did to inaugurate his public ministry was to step into the place of sinners? You know, what kind of comfort and strength can we draw from that? The voice of John the Baptist is the voice of God's law. Repent, he says. Start anew. This is a New Year's resolution on steroids. And sometimes God's law bearing down upon our hearts is exactly what we need. We need to be told the right way and the wrong way. And sometimes we need to be called to account. But if that is all we had, if all of God's words to us assume the form of a wild-eyed prophet calling us to repent, then we would never change. It would not be enough to, to soften and renovate our hearts. We need to feel the reality of God's law, but we also need the capacity to extend grace to ourselves and others. And so what we need is for someone to come alongside us and bear our burdens and make it possible for us to enjoy a different kind of life. And this is the promise of the gospel. Hebrews 2 verse 11 says that God comes to us in Jesus and God is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus is our brother. He's more than that, but he is not less. He is a friend, an advocate, someone who is not ashamed to be associated with us at our lowest points. He's someone who sings God's praises over us and shows us how to trust in God in life's most enigmatic and confusing moments. Jesus stands in line on the banks of the Jordan River as our true older brother. He is able to alleviate the pressure you're under and the burdens you carry because he walks alongside you and he has been there before. That's point one. Point two, I want to shift my focus a little bit. And to be honest, just to give honor where honor is due, I'm drawing some of this from a, a very impactful sermon I heard on 
the first Sunday after the Epiphany about the baptism of Jesus. The focus on this day, as Sarah already did so well, is not just talk about what happened to Jesus on that long ago day, but also what our baptism means for us on January 10th, 2021. <laughs> there is a, um, there's a very strange story in the book of Acts chapter 19. Paul the Apostle is spreading the Christian message all over the new, new, known world. And this is about 30 years after Jesus was baptized and all the events in Jesus' life that we have in the Gospels. And Paul, in Ephesus, so modern-day Turkey, hundreds of miles from the Jordan River, John meets these people who self-identify as disciples of John the Baptist. They were people who were baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And they must have quite literally moved away immediately afterwards. Because when John asks them, well, have you received the Holy Spirit? They, they look at him like, I have no idea what you're talking about. They didn't know who Jesus was, and they'd never received like, what we would call Christian baptism. They were baptized by John as a sign of repentance, but it just stopped there. Paul says, well, we need to do something about that. So he lays hands on them. He baptizes them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the text tells us that as soon as Paul laid hands on them, they were filled with God's Spirit. They began to speak in strange tongues. And Paul's like, cool, we got it. Um, praise be. Now, but what I'm trying to draw out here is this contrast between the baptism of John which is purely by water and is purely about repentance and the baptism through in which we are baptized, which is in the name of the triune God, which involves water, but also invariably involves the Holy Spirit. And what I want to say about our baptism and the way that is different than the baptism of John is that it involves a shift in agency. When we are baptized, we are given access to a powerful person, the Holy Spirit, who accompanies us day in and day out through life's up, ups and downs. Our baptism is, of course, a sign of repentance. And every Sunday when we confess our sins at the beginning of the liturgy, we are drawing to mind that promise that we are forgiven and made new in Christ. So it doesn't, of course, mean the end of repentance or some type of perfection. But when we are baptized, there is this sense of, of a change in agency where we no longer live in or for or by ourselves. We are filled with, with new life. When we are baptized, it is as if we are brought into the baptism of Jesus. And so that in some mysterious way, everything that was true of Jesus and his baptism is now true of us. When Jesus was baptized, the heavens were torn open. Now I look up, 
the heavens are not torn open. But I do know that God is profoundly accessible to me, that I can call upon the name of the Lord wherever I am, and God hears my prayer. When Jesus was baptized, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. I've never had such a dramatic experience in the grace of God. But I do believe and I do know that when we were singing together as a congregation just a few minutes ago, God, the third person of the Holy Trinity, the Holy Spirit, was in the midst of us, that we have access to the Spirit of God. And I know that when, in the same way that when Jesus was baptized, God the Father said, that is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. I know that when God looks at me and that when God looks at you, God says, there is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. And those profound gifts and those words of consolation and love begin our life in God. That is not a reward that we chase after. That is not affirmation or assurance that is somehow given to us as compensation for our faithfulness. That assurance, that affirmation is already ours and it cannot be shaken, it cannot be taken away. God cannot lie and God says to you, you are my beloved child. With you, I am well pleased. And we know, we know what that type of affirmation and that accessibility to the Spirit did for Jesus. Because I, I've used this illustration before, when Jesus was baptized, he came out like a man on fire, liberating people, bound by demonic spirits, teaching God's word, healing people whose bodies were broken. But what, what I really want to draw out specific to this Sunday is the way that Jesus's identity underscored in baptism enabled him to love unreservedly. Jesus loved people who deserved no sympathy. Jesus was able to have hope in the most hopeless and despairing situations. And friends, if there is if, if there's one thing that the, I'm, you know, sorry, I don't want to act like a prophet, but if there is one thing that the people of God need in this season, it's, it's, it's unreserved love, kindness, and compassion, not for people who deserve it, not just for people who are on the right side, but for everyone whom God loves. The Spirit inspires sympathy for the unsympathetic. The Spirit engenders hope in hopeless situations. The Spirit says to dry bones, live, and they come to life. And this is not, and I want to be clear about this, this is, what I'm not saying is that we are people who always look on the bright side. Or that we are people who retreat from the, the deep, cultural cleavage that is our country. But we are people who, can, who love and see the world as it is. We are not optimistic, but we are filled with faith. 
You know, obviously some of what I'm saying here has been shaped by the events of Wednesday afternoon. It's a very, for me, speak personally, it's, it's very destabilizing because I feel like I'm being asked to choose sides. And I sometimes, and I don't feel, I can't see myself in an uncomplicated way on either side. Look, it's not hard or complicated to look at the chaos and say, no, that's easy. And in a church like ours, it doesn't like, take a lot of courage. But what I'm talking about is, what do we say yes to? And what is a more positive, hopeful vision of activism and witness and service that reflects Jesus and meaningfully serves the world that he loves. That's what, that's what my mind has been. What, are we, what am I saying yes to? Not just what do I actively dislike. Uh, and I, I came across these words from uh, an opinion piece in the Washington Post. And I'm, I'm not saying you need to agree with everything that I'm going to say here. But to me, this was such a, a positive vision of what we can be when the Spirit is animating us in the way that I tried to describe earlier. Here's here's the, the quote. The collapse of one disastrous form of Christian social engagement should be an opportunity for the emergence of a more faithful one. And here, there are plenty of potent, hopeful Christian principles lying around. A consistent and comprehensive concern for the weak and vulnerable in our society, including the poor, immigrants, and refugees. A passion for racial reconciliation and criminal justice reform rooted in the non-negotiable demands of human dignity. A deep commitment to public and global health reflecting the priorities of Christ's healing ministry an embrace of political civility as a civilizing norm, a commitment to the liberty of other people's religions, not just our own, an insistence on public honesty, and a belief in the transforming power of unarmed truth. Now, I know that there are many of us who are already very passionate about racial justice and reconciliation. And there are people in our congregation who have, made, who have truly made public health a reflection of Christ's own healing ministry, their life's work. So I'm not under the impression that I'm telling you things that you don't already know. What I am trying to say is to, is to say that we can that it is possible for us to seek justice and to do good without leaving Jesus behind. And that this Sunday, when we remember our baptism and our identity and the power that we have in the Holy Spirit, we have the resources to love with open-handedly and unreservedly, even when things are confusing and challenging. God will enable us to meet an abyss of hatred and confusion with graced, self-sacrificial love.
Okay, I started by telling a funny story. I thought it was funny. At the Hobby Lobby, and I said, you know, we need something positive to, to more than just survive the next few months. I think, this is not a complete answer, but I think the notion that Jesus as our brother who walks alongside us and knows our struggles can be a profound psychological help and that the Holy Spirit accessible to us in our baptism gives us the resources and the power to love unreservedly. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminders that you give us in your word about who you are and who we are and can be in you. Lord, strengthen our faith that we may lay hold of that which you've promised us. In Jesus' name, amen.